As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The big picture is clear. Newcastle are no tourists when it comes to the Champions League this season. And under the lights at St. James's Park, even Mbappe's PSG could flinch. The cross coming in and it's a good one! It's a hat-trick! A hat-trick for Austria! The financial parallels between the two state-backed clubs are obvious. But have Newcastle learnt from PSG's efforts to build a side capable of challenging at the very top? I'm confident in my ability and I still feel that I'll play, I'd back myself ahead of anyone. And after turning over a new leaf under Luis Enrique, are PSG actually trying to be a bit more like Newcastle? I'm Ayo Akimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Isak! I think when you work that hard to achieve this for us, we don't want to waste it. I want the players to enjoy it, I want our supporters obviously to enjoy it, but really that will come from us performing at our best. Okay, let's get into this. This is massive. Newcastle versus PSG. Joining me for this one, the Athletics, George Colkin and also French football writer Tom Williams as well. George, let's start with you. Champions League back at St. James's Park. You're smiling. Look at you. You can't contain yourself. This is a massive moment for the club, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. Yeah, it's huge. I got a taste of it. I was in the away end in Milan a couple of weeks ago and... Um, I should just say, sort of a couple of months after cancelling my BT Sport subscription, thinking to myself, I'm sick of all these teams playing each other all the time. It's boring. I've had to kind of go crawling back to TNT to, to renew my subscription. And sort of being there in person, you just do get that sense of scale, of stature, of difference. Um, notice that from the start. It's like that sort of huge lift in, in quality. And yes, and James's Park will just be... Will be throbbing tomorrow night. It'll be absolutely incredible. I know it will. I'm actually writing something in a minute about Johan Kabai, who is part of, mm. of PSG's coaching staff now. And it takes me back to the time when Newcastle had a French day under Mike Ashley's ownership because they had all of those French players and it was like so 
naff. It was like so pound shop. They had can can dancers and they sang the Marseillaise before kickoff. And that does feel very Mike Ashley, yeah, doesn't it? And the <laughs> Strawberry Pub had been christened, rechristened La Fraise. Well, this is the proper French day. PSG at St James Park under the lights. It's going to be massive. Yeah. Tom, you know, George just alluded it to there. I mean, the, the cauldron at St. James's Park, uh, as, as star-studded as this PSG team is, uh, they're not going to be relishing that environment. I mean, that the noise that that crowd make is absolutely frightening. Yeah, I mean, it, it will be a test for them. Uh, in recent seasons, PSG have played in almost all of the great temples of, of European football. So as a club, that they're, they're used to playing uh, occasions like this uh, against against strong opposition in intimidating stadiums. Uh, but this is a slightly new look uh, PSG, as I think we're going to go on to talk about. Um, there's a lot less Champions League experience within the PSG ranks. Uh, and also, playing in England hasn't always smiled on PSG in recent years. You think about the, the humiliating exit against a Manchester United C team uh, in 2019, and 2021, they get knocked out in the semi-finals uh, by Manchester City uh, uh, on an incongruously snow-covered pitch at the Etihad in early May at an empty stadium. So, that, yeah, you know, PSG haven't necessarily had uh, had too many reasons to enjoy their trips uh, to England in in recent seasons. And I think with this 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 slightly more callow PSG team still finding its feet, I, I think the atmosphere that you know that they're gonna face at St James's Park will be a real test for them. Yeah, I was just looking in, in some of the research we came up with for, for this one. I didn't realise Luis Enrique was there. He scored for Barcelona 3-2 defeat at St James's Park back in 1997. But also, I, I think what's interesting is what's happening at, at Newcastle at this moment in time is that like only Liverpool, Manchester City and Arsenal have won Premier League games at St James's Park since Eddie Howe's appointment. George, they're making this home ground a real difficult place for teams to come to. Yeah, and of course, that's partly the way Newcastle play. They're very aggressive on the front foot, very good players now, of course, as well. But it is also about the hostility that there is back at, at St. James's now. It's the St. James's part that we think of when we talk about Newcastle's passion, the passion of their of the city and the supporters. It's not been like that, of course, for a long time under the sort of dark days of, of the Ashley era. But since the takeover happened, it's been like that from day one now. You go back to the first game post-takeover, Tottenham Hotspur at home for 10 minutes. You know, the noise was... I can't remember a sort of an, an atmosphere better than that. Oh, what a start! What a start for Callum Wilson and for the new Newcastle United regime. Unbelievable. Fairy tale. It rocked Spurs onto the back foot. Newcastle went ahead. And, of course, by the end of the game, Newcastle had lost because they were crap. They were crap at football, but now they're good at football and they've got a team that sort of reflects the way the crowd sound. Newcastle play with that aggression and anger and passion and noise. And yeah, I mean, it's been it's been sensational uh, over the last two years. I think things are changing now a bit in the sense that Newcastle fans are getting to understand and sort of almost expect their team to be pretty good, whereas it's been a surprise uh, it's been kind of a surprise for all of us, really. Again, I think it will lift itself. I think the stadium will lift itself for PSG. They're incredibly experienced players. A lot of them, they have. They have good players. They've got players who won the World Cup. But I do think this will be a different a different kind of atmosphere and experience for them. 
Tom, for anyone who hasn't watched PSG this season so far, um, what what are they looking like coming in into this match? Um, I, I mean, obviously there was a, a bit of an injury with Mbappe in in, in the Le Classique, uh, the, the game that PSG won four 0 uh, and beat Marseille. What shape is the squad in, and is Mbappe looking like he's going to play in this match? Yeah, Mbappe played against Clermont at the weekend, um, so uh, the expectation is that he'll be fit to start. Um, and, and in terms of what PSG looked like, they looked very different to the uh, PSG that we last saw uh, in the mm. Champions League last season. Big changes over the summer. Lionel Messi has gone, Neymar has gone, Marco Verratti has gone, various other pieces of Deadwood have, have been shipped out. And and the, the message at PSG has been that, uh, you know, the era of the big egos is over. This is all about the collective. This is all about younger, hungrier uh, players um, who, who aren't jaded by years of, of of huge contracts and it's also a, a slightly more French PSG in terms of the starting 11 um, in that they recruited more French players uh, this summer just gone than they had for a long time so Lucas Hernandez has come in, Ousmane Dembele, Randal Colomwani, Bradley Barcola there's slightly more steel to this to this team the idea is that there will be there will be fewer passengers um, on the pitch. And I think we saw that uh, against Borussia Dortmund in PSG's first game, 2-0 win, pretty comfortable. But the thing that really stood out was the quality of PSG's counter-pressing um, and, you know, that the stick that we ha- have used to beat PSG in recent years has been, well, you know, they, they can't play aggressive in-your-face football because the forward players don't work. You know, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe are very reluctant to pull their finger out and you get this sort of you get this team that, that's cut in half where the only players who are actually putting a shift in are the defenders and the midfielders. Whereas in that game against Dortmund, everyone was was you know was putting a shift in and it was a really impressive performance. So PSG is slightly different beast to the one that we've got to know in recent seasons. At the same time, domestic form hasn't been exceptional. They've only won three of their seven games so far. Um, you know, that they're off the top in in Ligue 1 haven't always been particularly convincing. Um, so this is very much the early days of a, a new a new era in this um yeah, in, in in the development of this club. Dare I say some some parallels there with where PSG are looking uh at this moment in time. This new idea, this new regime, this new um culture they're trying to cultivate, players that really want to be there. You know, you look at Moani, Parisian boy, you know, you saw it when he scored his goal, he went straight to the crowd, like, you know, I'm here, I've arrived. Um are PSG looking into that? Players that actually want to play, not just players that, you know, might just have a little cheeky cigarette on the weekend in a cafe? Yeah, and, you know, it's the club are very open about it. Um, I was struck by something that Nasser Al-Khalifi, the PSG president, said uh, during Luis Enrique's presentation as coach. He said, we've got to a point where I don't care about results anymore. We need to change the culture of this club. And if this means that we're not quite as successful, but the football's better and, and people enjoy coming to the stadium and, and there are smiles on faces, then, then, then so be it. You know, I guess we'll, we might have to revisit those hmm. remarks if PSG get turfed out in the last 16 again. But, you know, the part of the France has been quite a miserable place in recent years. And that's been the really puzzling thing about PSG is that on the one hand, you've got this impossibly glamorous collection of players. I mean, you know, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe... Verratti, um, you know, occasionally playing wonderful football, domestically at least, and then they end up getting booed by their own fans. You know, Messi gets told to, to go home. Fans turn up outside Neymar's house, chanting for him to leave. Um, you know, real hatred um, and, and a feeling that 
the fans have had enough of of this, you know, this sort of Galacticos project. Um, and so, you know, what what they've done has been a, a pretty dramatic act of of bloodletting. And I, I think some of the decisions they've made haven't 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 been all that essential. I mean, like letting Verratti go, for example. I mean, I'm biased. I think Verratti is a, is an absolutely wonderful footballer who, you know, I would I would happily watch every day of the week. They had to farm him out to Qatar because they couldn't find any of the clubs to to, to take him, and he's now playing uh, football in, in empty stadiums in in Qatar, which I find slightly heartbreaking. By all accounts, Luis Enrique would have been quite happy to to keep him on, um, but at the same time, I think there was a feeling at the club that. You know, he had become a symbol uh, in a similar way to Messi and, and Neymar of this Galacticos era. Someone who perhaps wasn't a hundred percent committed off the pitch, who would occasionally be be papped uh, having a cheeky cigarette, um, you know, at, at a glamorous Parisian night spot. And, and so they've they've moved against that quite violently. And and you know, the 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 idea being that. You know, buying all the superstars, hoovering up all the superstars they could hasn't worked in the Champions League. So they've had to basically go back to the drawing board. And, and, and this is where we are now. It is it is totally sort of fascinating this when I say that kind of Newcastle want to become that club. But I don't want Newcastle to become the kind of club that where where everyone's pissed off and angry and upset about being first in the league. And, you know, I, I was in on a Shearer interview with... Pochettino recently, when he was talking about that PSG, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I won some stuff, but it meant nothing because it wasn't the Champions League. That was the only thing they cared about. And it's sort of, oh, man, it's like, at New- I mean, I, th- I think it is starting to change a bit at Newcastle. It has to, has to, because they've been good, you know, so we're now used to them being good. But one of the sort of thrills of last season was going to the stadium and still being surprised when Newcastle won and having that sort of feeling of, oh, my God, they're not terrible. They've won, they've won again. And it's very careful about using the word like innocence and sort of joy because obviously the ownership is very contentious. But in terms of the team and in terms of the terms of the fans group, there is that sort of innocence to it where you've got players like Dan Byrne on the pitch who was brought in post-takeover, someone like Sean Longstaff too, absolutely integral to the way they play, someone who was cast aside under the previous manager, not quite getting their heads around being this good, standing, you know, the Champions League anthems going on, Jacob Murphy, we saw him in Milan, with this massive grin on his face, hearing the music come up for the first first time. They're part of a really, really strong, good, aggressive, front-footed team, but they've still got this sense of wonder about them as well, which is really nice. It's like a very precious bit of of where they are as a team and as a club where the team have kind of raced far ahead of the fans the fans are still catching up but everything still feels positive and i just don't want that i don't want that bit to end i don't ever want to be angry about being number 1 george how do you how do you stop that because we know the world we're living in, right? Like we're living in the world of money. Your Newcastle are backed by a limited pot of money. But also hypothetically, let's say Newcastle win the Premier League next season. They get to the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Champions League. And it keeps growing nicely every season. How do you maintain that? Because it then becomes a corporate giant. There will be a need to expand. There will be a need to get bigger sponsors. There will be a need to change who makes the kit. There will be a need to have that star and dazzle at Newcastle. Because also football players might want to come there who are big, big names. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think you can stop it. I mean, in some ways that's quite depressing. I mean, as soon as, you know, Newcastle 
win their first trophy. That's me. I'm on a park. You'll find me on a park bench a month later with a big long beard, clutching a massive bottle of cider, and I don't really care about anything else that happens after that. I can die happy. But um, I, th- I think it's part of you know it's part of 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 how the club transforms. I mean, we go back twenty years. You know, we're talking about the the, the Bobby Robson era, the Bobby era. He rescued the club. You know, they'd had that initial surge into the Premier League under Kevin Keegan, did absolutely brilliantly, caught everybody's surprise. Very similar feeling to now. It's that sort of sense of wonder. They played this incredible, adventurous football. Uh, Keegan goes. The club is in a PLC. Uh, there's a different feeling about it. There's less money. Uh, the manager's are kind of less tuned in to what Newcastle are doing, and then suddenly they're falling, and they're falling under Brood Hullet, big manager. And Bobby had to rebuild the team, and it was the you know it was like the second part of that era, and he rebuilt the team, took them up from the bottom of the, of the division. They then finished third, fourth. They finished fifth, and fans were unhappy, or there was you know certainly Bobby was very unhappy at the end of the season when they finished fifth, and fans didn't hang around to give them a, a big standing ovation at St James's Park, and it was the beginning beginning of the end for for Sir Bobby. It just goes to show, you know. So it takes a couple of years of you being up and around those positions and it's where you expect to be. I hate that word expectation because I think it's I think in terms of Newcastle it's become a sort of toxic word under the, the Ashley era where, you know, the expectation was really that things could be and should be better than they were, which was terrible. But as Newcastle get bigger, as they get better we get more used to them being better and so it does, you know, we can't be innocents uh, forever. It's just that this this bit of it is so reminiscent of the time that the club came into the Premier League the first time under Keegan and kind of blew people away. There is that sort of sense around it, but it can't be there forever. And, you know, the more we get used to it, the more you expect it, the more then the team has to push the crowd, the crowd has to push the team. And before you know it, you're PSG and you're pissed off at being first. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. 
With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just wanted to go back to what we were saying before about about having a hardworking team and and club identity and things like that. And you know, I think from from the outside, you look at what's happened at Newcastle since the Saudis arrived and what Eddie Howe has done and and what he seems to have done very successfully has built a team that sort of represents the values of the local area. And I'm sort of wary of lapsing into cliche here, but you know, Newcastle United is a club with very strong working class tradition in its in its fan base. You've got the sort of industrial heritage of, of the local area. It makes sense that you would have a team that reflects that, you know, a team that is honest, a team that, that puts a shift in. It makes sense in a similar way that PSG initially, in the early years of, of, of the Qatari project, went for the Rasmataz because this is Paris and, and, and not Newcastle. You know, there are clubs in France from similar areas to Newcastle, places like Saint-Étienne or, or Lens or, or Marseille maybe, where there's a similar sort of connection between the fan base and the club and the team. But PSG, you know, Paris is the capital of France. It is one of the fashion capitals of the world. It's Christian Dior and Louis Vuitton and all the rest of it. And okay, PSG isn't a club with with, with a very long history, but you go back to the mid 1990s um and you know the, the first really great PSG team and that was a team that was all about superstars and glamour and and David Ginola and and Rai and George Weah and about celebrities you know coming to watch games at, at the Parc des Princes and you know as a capital city PSG is is a very sort of cosmopolitan place as well so although it has been very amusing for us non PSG fans to see them going for this policy of signing lots of star players and and not quite getting to where they wanted to be in terms of Champions League success, it did make sense in terms of the the club's identity, the the club's traditions. And and that's why what's happening now at PSG is is so interesting because they are, they they appear to be trying to do something similar to what Newcastle have done um, uh, under Eddie Howe. And, you know, the reason for that is because what they were doing previously hasn't, hasn't quite worked out. But at the same time, there was a kind of, there was a coherence to, to, to that. And, and that's what I find interesting about this sort of shift in, 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 in PSG's sort of policy at the moment is that they've always been the club of, of glamour and, 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 and Galacticos and bright lights and sparkle and, and what have you. And, and so it is, it is quite a sort of violent shift to be, to be moving away from that. I mean, again, I, I find that very interesting. And you, you're totally right, Tom, in what you say, except that, that the first era of Newcastle in the Premier League under, under Kevin Keegan they did go for the. They did go down the glamour route. They they broke they broke the world record in signing Alan Shearer for fifteen million quid. They brought in David Ginola. They towards the end of that era they chased Michael Owen because they felt the need to bring in that kind of Hollywood sort of signing. Even though 
Michael Owen had absolutely no interest in being at Newcastle and pretty much proved that definitively after after joining. Um, there was that was an, that was an error to you know for me. There, there was that sense of Hollywood signings over team building at the end of that time at Newcastle. The cliche then was that Newcastle have to be everybody's second favorite team. They have to be adventurous. That was what Keegan had given them. The you know the tilt at the title that ended in uh, disappointment. Of course, I think where Howe has been very clever is that he's recognised a different part of Newcastle's character, which is which is the bit about being left to, to rot by the rest of the country. And you can go into history, I've talked to Howe about this, mm. you know, that he's recognised something in us that we hadn't seen for a very long time. I think partially this also ties into the ownership and the reaction that there's been to the ownership more widely in the in the Premier League, that Newcastle are suddenly, you know, usurpers, that they're suddenly sort of this sort of controversial uh, club. And he's said... You know, he's he said this very perfectly. I'm not here to make to be friends with people. I'm here to compete. And it's like, oh my god, yeah. You know, we're not going to get anything. We're not going to get given anything. So we have to fight for everything. And that is also part of the northeast character. Um, and he's been, you know, sometimes it does take people from the outside to sort of spot these bits about your own character, your city's character and personality. But he's been. You know, you know, no one in, in Newcastle is interested in being anybody else's second favourite team. That's always been a myth. They were under Keegan at the start of the Premier League because they were so ridiculously good, you know, so ridiculously adventurous. They also lost. I mean, they're also most famous for losing. And I think this version of Newcastle wants to wants to be known for winning. George, very quick one before we move on. Um, I was looking at the squad from 2003 when um, Newcastle played in the Champions League uh, last and uh, Alan Shearer, you know, Kieran Dyer, uh, who else? Jermaine Jennings, Shane Given, Shola Amiobi. <laughs> it's a very different look type of Newcastle squad in the profile of the players in which they're, they're getting. If you could take two players from that 2003 squad and stick them in this 2023 squad, who would you, who would you pick? Can I tell you something really embarrassing? So I wrote about I wrote about that that Milan game when they drew two all with Inter Milan twenty years ago, and that yeah. was their last away away match in the group stage of the Champions League. And of course, at the time, they didn't think it was the end; they thought it was the kind of beginning of something. And I wrote about that, and I spoke to Shearer about it, and um, I finally got to the airport on the way over there, and I had to Google my own name to see that I had actually been in Milan 20 years ago and I wasn't able to remember a single thing about it. So I, this is really terrible. It's like, and of course, I then did a bit more research and I found that uh, Sunderland had appointed Howard Wilkinson as manager on, as the, on the day that I arrived in Milan. So, of course, I had to write about that. And um, so I didn't get to say any Milan. So um, so that kind of partially explains that. Well, of course, you take Shearer. You take Shearer any day, any day of the week. I'm not just saying that because he's our colleague on The Athletic. Uh, a, a brilliant, a, the most complete centre forward I've ever seen. Oh, blimey, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that team. But um, yeah, Shearer's a no-brainer. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, th I think one of the fascinating things, just listening to Tom talk about what PSG are kind of doing since since the end of last season, it does mirror what Newcastle have done post takeover, really. And you know, one of the big things when when the takeover happened, that the kind of club that they you know they wanted to become a 
a, a Man, Man City in time. They want to become a PSG. That's the ambition. They want to be competing for, for everything. But their first ambition was not to become an Everton. And, you know, that was about having that sudden um, sudden wealth, but not misspending it. They they have been, you have to give them credit and say they've been very, very clever in what they've done and how they've spent money. It's been about, firstly, building on what they already had at the club, which was a pretty limited dressing room, but a very, very good one in terms of character. That's been something they've been very, very, uh, you know, adamant that they kind of build on. There's been that sort of no dickhead policy, which they've, you know, which which eventually, you know, won't see them through forever, but but has been kind of very important. And then building, um, you know, kind of ignoring the big names, going for players who've perhaps slipped under the radar a little bit, making some big signings, people like Kieran Trippier, but Kieran Trippier, who was prepared to come to Newcastle without a relegation clause. Um, you know, absolutely transformative signing. And then a transformative signing in a different way, Bruno Guimaraes, again, someone who came without a relegation clause in his contract at a time when the team were at the bottom of the table. And he's that glimpse of the future Newcastle want to get to, but a smart signing under the noses of of bigger clubs. And yeah, they don't sign players that they don't need. And that's been, you know, that's kind of driven them through so far. Very, very interesting. I think what's something that's really interesting about this Newcastle squad at this moment in time is I, I use the word balance loosely, but it feels relatively balanced with youth and experience, but also a little bit of fairy dust. Alexander Isaac, for instance, you know, what a player. Um, you've watched him a fair bit. George, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think he's fabulous. Um, I mean, I love, a, I, you know, I am a, I am a Shearer fan as well as colleague. And so I love, mm. I love the sort of traditional centre forward. It's been very interesting seeing how Isak and Callum Wilson have interchanged um, during matches. Isak is, you know, his quality. He's he's that sort of modern, dynamic forward who can play across the front line, can play wide if necessary, has beautiful touches. Wilson is the more uh, is the more sort of recognizable number nine figure. I love watching him as well because he just links up play. Brings the midfield in, brings the defence in. Been a tough choice for Eddie Howe to, to kind of rotate the two of them. But no, Isak represents the kind of player, you know, that they want to build themselves around. Same with Bruno, same with that level of player, same with Botman, same with Tonali. You know, we're seeing more and more the kind of player that Newcastle want to be, you know, want to, to build themselves around. And, um, you know, we'll see more of those players in the future. Obviously, it was fascinating seeing them this summer, for the first time, arguably, since the takeover, go to a elite club, take one of their best players in the face of competition. Tonali is hardly a secret. You know, you can argue that that Bruno was a bit more, you know, that, yeah, Arsenal had been sniffing around, but kind of Newcastle got there first. Tonali is, you know, was already a vice-captain of, of AC Milan. He's already an established Italy international, been in the Champions League semi-final. I mean, that was a big big move from them but that calibre of player that is the kind of team Newcastle want to be in the future just thinking about on the flip side of you know a lot of what George has said about reconnecting the club to the city um, from a PSG standpoint Tom is that something that you feel this new project is conscious of um, I know there was that incident with the Ultras after the Marseille game um, uh, wrongly obviously but 
there's a fascinating move there to try and reconnect this club or at least the players trying to reconnect with a lot of the fans out on there who were disgruntled, as we said, calling out a name ourselves, publicly talking about their dislike of Messi at the club. Um, is there a real impetus now? Are they conscious of this at PSG? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it's been part of the mood music the last couple of seasons in particular, this this sort of split between the ultras and, and, and the team and, and, and in particular the very targeted heckling of you know the likes of Messi and, and Neymar and, and this this sort of outright rejection of the project that, that those players represented and I suppose when you think about PSG as, as a football club and, and and its relationship with Paris as a city I was talking before about what what Paris you know looks like to the rest of the world this very glamorous stylish city the razzmatazz etc but you think about the, the wider Paris area the, the the teeming suburbs which which are now recognized as as Europe's you know premium football hotbed when it comes to producing young footballers and and you know some of the players that, that they have have signed um are from that that part of the world and so there's there's another part of Parisian identity that I think PSG are trying to tap into you know this huge sort of local fan base of, of young football mad teenagers often from the suburbs rather than than from you know Paris the, the, the city center um who you know who, who are uh, PSG fans and, and who want to see themselves represented in 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 the team in some way and of course one of the one of the historic failings that PSG uh, have had and this this isn't just you know during the, the the Qatari era this is throughout their admittedly quite short history is they've they've brought through very few homegrown players you know you, you go back to, to to 2011 and and the Qataris coming in and during that period you know, Mamadou Sako was a homegrown player, was already there, was club captain for a bit. He got moved out. Um, Adrian Rabiot came through. He ended up moving on to Juventus. Uh, Presnel Kimpembe is currently the only truly homegrown player. Uh, he's currently injured um, and is dropping down the pecking order with every new centre-back that, that PSG signs. So that, that that local connection wasn't there. And, it, and it's something that PSG have 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 always struggled, um, you know, to have, really. So... I think that is I think that is an element of it and it, and it's 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 trying to tap into this idea of 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 union of the fans being united with the players and the players being uh you know not superstars being super talented sure but being hard working committed professionals who aren't going to be you know up all night playing poker like Neymar or you know traipsing in and out of nightclubs like like Marco Verratti um and 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 that is the new footing that that the club is now on I want to end this uh, pod with with a sense of expectation from both both clubs, really. Um, you know, I think one thing we've been putting an arrow to is the romance of football, the, the the joy of your team, not quite knowing whether or not they're going to win, but actually pulling out that resort. Um, George, you've spoken about it. You love the underdog status, but even you have to think it's a tough group in the Champions League, but if we can fight it with this lot, we can go ahead and get to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was one of those people who just loved this draw. I mean, I, I, yes, it's uh, incredibly tough, but you know, what a, what a, what a group to kind of announce that you're that you're back in Europe, and you know, the idea isn't that it's a one-off. I mean, I think again, it's that sort of reaction where Newcastle is a good. You don't expect it. You still don't expect it to last. It's like, oh, we're in the Champions League, we've got this terrible draw, um, but the idea is that they're back in Europe next season fingers crossed and then the season after so this is the first time back and it's just i think it's magnificent to 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 be given those three 
three clubs is brilliant. As I said, I was in Milan. It was just an extraordinary, atmospheric, emotional overload. It was, you know, it was kind of beautiful to be back in that incredible stadium, seeing your own team there and listening to the noise and sort of understanding that, yeah, this is a huge step up. But, you know, and yeah, you know that goalless draw was tough. They were on the back foot, but I think they rose to it as the game went on. And then I think we see a different Newcastle um, at home. I, yeah, I, I, I don't see any reason why they can't get out of the group if they if if they make use of St James's. I, I, I don't see why not. But I'm not saying I think that should happen. I think that would be great if it did. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a a tough season for Newcastle. I think. Everything kind of flowed for them last time. Um, they didn't have this extra extra competition to deal with. Um, but the idea is that yeah, this is just the start of something, and what a start it is! It'll be a it'll be a roller coaster. But again, I mean, there's something quite precious about being around the club at the moment, knowing that all being well, the team will be stronger, the club will be stronger this time next year. You know, no matter if they go through a spell of poor results or whatever, that the team is growing. Under the previous ownership, you knew that if anything good happened, it would immediately be followed by a lot of rubbish stuff happening, that there was no way that they could build... You know, when Kabai was here, they finished fifth, an incredible season, the high watermark under Ashley. They then signed one senior player that summer for the ahead of the Europa League, and of course they crashed and burned because they would. They did well in Europe, but they couldn't compete in the Premier League as well. You know this time that it's the start of something. Yeah, Tom, Paris is the city of love. Is that romantic feeling there for, for this team to go on and, and, and do well in the Champions League this season? I mean, there hasn't been much romance with PSG in, in recent seasons. <laughs> uh, you think of all the old cliches about Paris in the spring and Paris in the spring in a football sense has been one of the most miserable places in Europe because they just get, you know, <laughs> get their pants pulled down uh, every single season. I think for PSG, I mean, they have to get out of the group. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult group, but, you know, in terms of, in terms of recent pedigree, PSG are, are, are clear favourites for that. What's different, I think, for PSG this season is the expectation about winning the Champions League isn't there. Because they got so close that 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 twenty twenty final in Lisbon narrow defeat to Bayern Munich could have gone either way, and then you know Messi arrives and and Donnarumma comes in and they they step things up um, in terms of recruitment and I think they they've gone into each of the last three seasons thinking this is it you know on paper we've got the best squad in Europe you know certainly what you know in in the top three we've come so close we've just got to make the final step and what happened over the summer was an acknowledgement that. You know that that sort of iteration of the team had, had gone as far as it was going to go in the Champions League, and so they're starting again. Um, so I, I think success for PSG in the Champions League this season is, you know, going deep into the knockout rounds, but playing with a bit of bravado uh, and uh, giving their fans exciting moments. Not not being the laughing stock of Europe again. Not being you know a a a constant source of memes because. They've contrived to, to snatch improbable uh, defeat from from the jaws of almost certain victory again. Uh, just be a slightly more normal football club. Look like they're progressing. Look like they're playing good football. Um, I think PSG coming short in the Champions League this season will be more quickly forgiven by their fans than, than it will have been in, in, in recent years. And then you start to go down that thought path and you think, well, hey, 
lot of talented players here and with the pressure off for once, maybe they could go all the way, but let's leave it there. I think if they if, if they reach the quarters and they're playing good football and there's a sense that Luis Enrique is, is putting his stamp on the team and and they're playing, you know, and and, and, and things feel like they're progressing, I, I think that will feel like a, a positive season for PSG. There's clearly a sort of Gulf State rivalry between these two clubs. I would say obviously, but it's implied anyway, based on political conversations and issues over history. Do you think the boardrooms are secretly hoping this this match between PSG and Newcastle, you know, is there a bit of a one-upmanship uh, from the board on this one, do you reckon, George? I think um, I think they have sort of decent relationship. I think, I think one of the sort of, um, one of the kind of misnomers post-takeover was that uh, that Newcastle would sort of be planting their tanks on other clubs' lawns and, and sort of behaving aggressively. They've been very keen to be good citizens in the Premier League. Their directors, Amanda Staveley, uh, you know, for for example, has made a big uh, play of being on Premier League boards and so on and so forth. Clearly, they are a threat to the established order in both domestically and in Europe, but they're also very keen to be to be good citizens, they were very quick to um, to get back on board with the European Clubs Association, even when it wasn't guaranteed that they would be in Europe this season. And I think it'll be perfectly friendly and cordial in the in the boardroom because because uh, because that's the way they've behaved so far. That will, however, disguise that ambition to you know to be to be that club. They want to be the club. They've made no secret of that that their aim is to be number one. So. And that's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of ambition, but they will be, um, you know, they'll do it with a smile on their face, I think. Tom, dare I say, imagine Newcastle lifting up the Champions League before PSG. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that could be an interesting but, I mean one. you know, talking about talking about rivalries in the Gulf, I mean, you know, prior to the Saudis arriving at um, at Newcastle, the most comparable project was um, was Abu Dhabi at Manchester City. You know, I think there's 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 the local factor in terms of you know this being a, a a rival gulf country a rival in a in, in a sporting sense um but it's also it's also the similarities between the uh you know the the projects you know these clubs with almost limitless wealth kind of trying to to plot a way to success and and PSG have done it in a certain way and have and have achieved a lot of success lest we forget i mean you know they they win league on almost every season they are now you know a global super club in marketing terms, they're one of the most famous sporting institutions in, in, in the world. If you look at the amount of people who, you know, the amount of teenagers wearing their, their clobber. Um, but in a sporting sense, they've, they've been left behind by Manchester City. And I think part of that, part of that is, is, is because of the very specific context of it being Paris, of it being the capital city, of, of, of the, the kind of this feeling that things have to be done with a certain... Uh, a certain swagger, a certain flourish. Uh, obviously, you know Manchester City are an extremely stylish football club in, in in terms of their football. But with all respect that I have for the city of Manchester, it, it's not a, it's not a city where you, you associate with with glamour and, and razzmatazz. That there, there isn't that expectation that, that that the club needs to kind of you know sort of shimmer uh, in, in the same way that, that I think PSG think think they do. Um, so yeah, you know I I, I don't think. Uh, PSG particularly celebrated the fact that City finally got over the line in the Champions League last season. Uh, and if Newcastle end up <laughs> leaving PSG for dead in the Champions League as well, then that'll be another, you know, golf rival who've basically, you yeah. know, sort of seen what PSG have done, tweaked that formula for their own needs and then ended up, you know, doing it a bit more successfully. 
Okay, George, quick one for the uh, Newcastle fans. Um, when's the next pod on the tie out? So we will record um, on Thursday with massive hangovers celebrating Newcastle. No, uh, probably not with massive hangovers because I have to work uh, quite quite <laughs> late into the night afterwards. But yeah, we'll record on Thursday. And uh, so it should be going up Thursday, late on Thursday or Friday morning. All right, cheers, gents. Thanks so much, George and Tom. And don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today and follow both Newcastle and PSG's Champions League journeys this season for just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.